Hey there. Hey everyone, how you doing? Let's see, we are at episode uh, 25. Maybe 24. Hard to determine exactly what episode it is. Yeah, we're at episode 44. Double four. That adds up to episode eight. <laughs> it doesn't. But that would be kind of a bummer, wouldn't it be? Every time you get to a double of a certain number, it's like a hazard that on double numbers, it might reset to whatever those double numbers add up to. Or triple numbers for it, whatever. Any group of numbers. So a uh, so you get up to 222 of something, and it just resets to 6. That'd be a terrible scenario. <laughs> I, uh, I wonder what the rules on that would be. You know, if this was actually a reality, something that existed in this world. And, and I mean, in some ways you might want to play it correctly, like with age, perhaps, you know, but it never would really add up to anything more than 10. So that would be kind of terrible too. Oh, no, no. Somebody could get up to 88 and, be, and go back and become 16. 99, 18, you know. That's pretty much the top. But by that point, I think it might be really distressing and weird to go back to age 18. I think the most common times you'd see people exploiting this option would be uh, 66 and go back to being 12 and just start it all over. That, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's probably, if you haven't done it completely right the way you'd like to do it, that's the way you would exploit the uh, the double number thing. You wait till you're 66, go back to 12, and really at that point you can activate so much change in your future with just whatever decisions you're going to be making for the next five years. But you'd have to really be careful because you might screw up and forget about it at 22 and jump back and become four so you'd have to become very cautious moving forward on every every one of those paired decade digits wonder it would have to be like a millisecond thing like once you become a double digit number you have to just sort of say very quickly nope or not you know i mean you just have to confront it and be aware of it so with this being a part of the reality of the world, people would probably uh, stay up. You know, I, I don't know if it would happen on your birth hour. You know, I was uh, like, if you were born in the morning, you could, it would just happen at that morning second, that millisecond. Or if just a birthday would be very clearly, you know, 12 a.m., 12 a.m. in one second of a, of a day. But, there could also be the problem of what time zone uh, governs this weird double-digit bounce-back rule. 
that have to get figured out. But you just have to say nope pretty quick. If not, you just bounce back. Although when you're two, you would bounce forward. That's pretty cool. Oh, no, 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 when you're 22, I'm forgetting the whole rules. <laughs> uh, whoops, man. I hope this bill for new double-digit age reclassification makes it through Congress. It's my understanding uh, that we have the proper lunatics set up right now to do that. <laughs> We're in like a Civil War era scenario where, you know, like they're concerned about actual assassins or embedded spies of QAnon or whatever inside there. The threat is coming from inside the house kind of ideas. For whatever reason, for all these things, I just think about like wood crane illustration in an old newspaper, <laughs> you know, and uh, that kind of detailed writing, you know, a, a spy was found amongst, you know, the Commonwealth or something, you know, I mean, just some, I don't know how they referred to it back then. But things like that, I, you know, certainly a funny, funny moment in time, funny moment in time, funny moment in time, 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 time. This episode of Spoken Word with Electronics is brought to you by Bresky Mastering. Based in Berlin and available to experimental musicians worldwide, Bresky Mastering is a human-based music improvement service specializing in finalizing your mixes. The weirder or more wonderful your work, the better. Visit vereskimastering.com. That's V-A-R-E-S-C-H-I mastering.com for more information. Time, 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 time. So it's to uh, Nancy Pelosi's uh, marathon credit that she sustained you know, like a good burner heat <laughs> a, uh, on Trump for the whole time. I guess I'm at the point right now with decompression where I'm sort of doing the thank yous. You know, just realizing, oh, you know, that person did a pretty good job. Thank you. You know, got us out of that and is pushing the tractor right at him. <laughs> High crimes. Perfectly, uh, perfectly written article of impeachment. What, what's the name of the the impeachment article? I should have it memorized, but live typing. Resolution, Article One, Incitement of Insurrection. In his conduct while President of the United States and in violation of his constitutional oath, Donald John Trump engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence against the government of the United States. <laughs> it's fun to read. Resolution. This episode is about resolution. Digital resolution. Is this the one that was... Yeah. For high crimes and misdemeanors. Anyway. Inciting. Resolution. 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 
in his conduct while President of the United States and in violation of his constitutional oath, Donald John Trump engaged in high crimes and misdemeanors by inciting violence against the government of the United States. So tonight's show is about my own achievement, (laughs) something that I sort of started as a joke with myself and then allowed it to continue on its own. This is going to be a story of how I eventually accumulated 100,000 unread personal emails and over 30,000 unread work emails. And that this number will continue to grow. I will unread again. Let's begin with where it starts. But about 12 years ago, I had gotten to a point where I had 500 unread emails. My own way of managing somehow lost control of itself and I had 500 unread emails. At the time, you know, I mean, I would sort of clean up my inbox every day, get rid of stuff or folder it or whatever, and it rarely got above 80. But I got to 500 and so I thought, let's see how far we can take this. I realized at the moment that this happened. When I looked at it, first I was kind of startled, but then I also realized that I'd been busy in a way that was highly productive. At a time where I wasn't paying attention to that number at the end of the day, I wasn't tidying up my email. (laughs) And uh, I somehow felt it to be liberating to get to a point where I would not have time in the week or the evening to get through all 500 of those unread emails. You know, I, I just decided instead just to forget about it. Forget about caring about it and just be aware of the fact. Well, also at the same time, I'd realized that in this time that it had gotten up to 500 unread emails, I hadn't missed a single significant email or hadn't blown any professional or work-based thing or even any friend-based thing. I hadn't messed up supporting people. So I was doing an automatic filtering already with the inbox. And the emails that I wasn't reading are ones that I wouldn't want to read anyway. Just normally I would tidy them up, you know. uh, So a lot of breaking news reports was sort of what it started with. And then also odd uh, solicitation-based emails that I don't even want to open or look at, let alone click spam. I just don't even want to touch them, so I let them sink. I also want to point out this 100,000-plus count of emails unread is with robust spam filtering already enabled. So this is stuff that is intended for me, is not a scam. These are actual emails that are addressed to me that I just do not even open and read. And about 12 years ago, I decided to start this joke with myself just to see what would happen. I actually had more emails unread at work. at the, uh, the job that I'd been at since uh, 1999 or 2000. Whenever I started the current thing I'm doing, I think about 2002. Anyway, since around that time, I had been developing this same sort of disregarding style to work emails. And I had a lot less stress about that because I, I feel less you know, connected personally to correspondence. And you get a lot of weird email chains and stuff. And so at the time, when I had 500 unread personal emails, I had a coworker scream because he looked at my desktop and he saw that I had 3,235, 3,235 
unread work emails. <laughs> and uh, it literally made him uncomfortable to see that display. And he goes, is that real? And I go, yeah, yes, it is. And he just went into kind of like a panic, you know, just considering himself having 3,000 unread work emails. So I just, uh, I still like this friend and I would like to freak him out. And so I would keep the work tally going forward. And I'd be, you know, but I would always let him find out. And as it would make sense, once I started both of these sort of upcountings, I would also sort of see a trend in terms of life versus work because uh, this number of unread emails based on I will read it if it's a person I need to be communicating with or if it is clearly, you know, specific to me like uh, other things. I won't read it if it's just something I want to get an alert on, but the unread email with the headline is enough. And there's a lot of work emails that are sufficient for this. They summarize pretty well in the headline as to whether or not you need to pay attention to it. And the same thing happens with news and then other stuff. But I'm going to give you a current tally <laughs> of uh, where I'm at right now because my life emails thankfully just jettisoned far ahead of my work emails. And so my work emails had a jump start of like about 3,000 or so unread emails to my 500 unread personal emails. And this is now about 12 years ago. And the current tally now, I'm very proud to uh, divulge. I have 100,581 unread personal emails and 38,269 unread work emails. That's a live tally right now. I'm looking at both of them. And I'm, I consider this a huge achievement. So tonight's episode is a dedication to the 130,000 unread emails of my last, I guess, the last decade. And the real number is 12. 12 years. But we'll say the last, of no, the last decade. That has a nicer ring, doesn't it? To acknowledge this and to make this applicable to the show, I actually feel that a really good way to describe this, I was thinking, well, maybe I should do a show on clocking. And <laughs> like, it would be amazing to hear, you know, a second multiplied down into, you know, one, uh, one second, one half second, you know, a third, an eighth, a sixteenth, whatever, and keep on going down until you have one thirtieth, you know, and then you could bounce that up and sort of represent in time 30,000 of something. So obviously you wouldn't hear it within a second, but if you expanded that second to say, I don't know, probably like an hour, you would be able to hear a measure 30,000th of it. It'd probably sound very uh, clicking, like a Geiger counter or something. So that was the thought, is to commemorate or acknowledge the emails with that. And that idea then sort of expanded into like, well, what would that teach or what would that de demonstrate? <laughs> you know, there'd be nothing fascinating about hearing a steady click of anything and saying, that's 30,000, just listen to all of them. Or that's 100,000, just listen to all of them. So I started to think about, well, what is 
demonstrated by those sorts of separations. And I think a lot of people tend to constantly debate the difference between analog and digital. They're both very cool. And they both have wonderful sounds in them. You know, uh, a lot of really amazing synths from the 90s are uh, digital. That's why they're called digital synths. But most of the, basically analog stopped. And then there was a, in about mid 80s, and then there was just a huge sort of like analog hybrid kind of thing, or mostly digital stuff. You know, uh, a obvious purely digital toy-like synth is a Casio, and those things sound great. Yamahas sound great, and then, uh, or they can. Some of Roland's digital stuff, uh, the JP8080 that they put out in the uh, 90s, you have to have a pretty good trained ear to hear them in a mix in a separate way than a, a Jupiter when it's in the mix. A lot, you know, that is also a funny thing that people do with synthesizers that always that I tend to find funny. Because I, I want to do a demonstration really showing about what it means to make something purely digital. And I'll explain in a moment what I'm going to do with uh, sort of like a separation of notes, the same idea of the 30,000 in one hour, but in a, a better way. We're going to do a show on resolution with a bit rate or approximate bit rate. And but people who are digital or analog purists really are evaluating that one synthesizer sitting by itself, you know, and never really dropping it into the mix of other things, because a lot of that character actually does sort of just disappear or to or become, especially after compression and pulling something in, you kind of cut, you know, into the mix with other instruments. It's very difficult to identify a analog uh, Roland synthesizer from a digital one, you know, um, but there are characteristics of uh, there are characteristics of analog and digital that go beyond what you hear, and it sort of uh, goes into the idea of well, does your mind completely process things identically based on what they hear, right? Uh, sound can have a texture to it, and I wonder sometimes is even if like it's almost completely identical, the sound of something digital or the sound of something analog. You know, another really great example is the Moog uh, Model uh, 15 app. There's a lot of really close sounds there. It doesn't have the power supply of a Moog Model 15, so it sounds uh, less robust, but if you were to amplify that iPad through a really good guitar amp, you would get a very close sound to their iPad version of their Model 15. And that's a difference of $10,000. <laughs> uh, I think the tax on a Model 15 uh, is more, is like five times more expensive than the app itself. But, you know, I've, if you ever work with those modules and you hear something and you hear the same thing and then you go to the app and you're working with it, I feel that they might sound identical or very close, but your brain actually hears that texture, that digital texture compared to that analog texture. So an analog signal, no matter how much you were to slow it down, it's kind of like stretching out taffy. 
There will be no space in between the analog tone when you are stretching it out for time. If you were to take an analog tone that you made and just like stretch it out for, you know, like 30 feet, it would be a very thin bubblegum-like sound, but it would, there wouldn't be any breaks in it. If you were to go to the same thing of a digital signal, of a analog tone, of, I'm sorry, a digital tone identical in sound to that, and you were to do the same thing where you were to extend it 30 feet or whatever uh, distance I, I made, I, I declared for the, uh, for the analog one, it'd be like uh, poles that you have to jump back and in between. There would be gaps that would increase between the bit rate of something the farther and farther you stretch it. And that's the main difference between digital and analog, is those small, infinitesimal, impossible to actually hear uh, breaks in space for the actual tone, the, uh, the bit rate, they call it. And so I thought it would be kind of fun to just sort of start something at the slowest possible bit rate and just sort of write a very small waveform basically like run out like a uh, uh, an even 24 bar sequence that are just uh, gates so and then change the pitch on a variety of them and for a demo this week I thought it would be kind of fun to increasingly change their speed to the point where they become a waveform and that'll be kind of a fun way to deconstruct digital signals going backwards instead of, uh, going, you know, uh, reverse engineering <laughs> digital signal resolution. So that's my theory on this is that I can actually make a, uh, a waveform this way that has kind of an interesting characteristic. Then I'll loop that waveform just to see, you know, what it sounds like. And it might be like a stair-stepped kind of eight bit waveform that we make using this method. So that will be our demo for this week. And I hope you're having a really good week. It is uh, nice out. We're about to get a uh, little bit of cold. Wintry mix advisory going over uh, Texas. But uh, if you were in the Northeast over the last few uh, weeks, uh, my sympathies. <laughs> That's some real weather you've had. Hope you're doing good with that. It's really tough with snow. It's magical to be sort of like snowed in. And I guess at this point, a lot of people already have provisions, you know, we've been doing that. So I wonder if that's one kind of cozy detail about these snowfalls this year is that you don't need to go anywhere. Hopefully, with luckily, you know, one really hopes that you getting through it and uh, maybe you're at home. But at least for these few days, you can bunker down and enjoy the snow. So let's have a uh, quick discussion about with a little demo about resolution. And looks like my counter on my emails right now, I've just been keeping them open. They haven't moved. We're still at 100,581 personal. The uh, My work email uh, isn't going to change just because of the time of day and the week. It's very unlikely that I would be getting a, uh, I never really get, I mean, people do respect our jobs, which is also nice. I'm, I chose a decision at one point to no longer work for, uh, for profits, profit-based jobs. 
and just work for uh, either the state or university. And that has been very good job, very good decision. A lot of respect for your life. They call it a work-life balance, but they really should just say, hey, li hey respect for your, you know, living mind. <laughs> Very different than working for for profit, where they can contact you whenever, you know. So yeah, I don't see my work email changing. And I'll talk in the demo about other things about dates, which is weird because, you know, your email, if you keep it for a couple decades, becomes your time capsule, you know. And that's the funny thing about it. It's all retrievable, largely. I know a lot of people actually work off email. That is their computer. You know, that is their information system. They just work off their email records, you know. And in that instance, having 100,581 unread emails doesn't affect the, your use of it because it, the email doesn't need to be read uh, to be included. And I think what's funny is when I freak out people, I mean, certain people get really uncomfortable and I <laughs> other people laugh. But some people, it actually hits like a specific funny bone. Maybe it's hitting your phone, funny bone. I have 100,581 unread emails. And uh, there will be more. <laughs> uh, what, I, what I like is it triggers sort of like the anxiety. And some people, it's like, how can you be sure that all of them are ones you don't need to read? You know, I, I, gu I guess I can't. Tomorrow I will wake up with probably 100,592 or 97 unread emails at that point because there's certain news alerts that I get. Uh, I've got eBay feeds that I no longer even use, but I get saved searches from eBay. And I get, of course, really a lot of political ads that I never open up. You know, I... Uh, first made a political contribution to Obama and then to Bernie Sanders and both of them walked me into the mother of all like email lists for Democrats and then when I would go to cities I would just sort of talk to people like I went to the uh, prior to that I also went to uh, Democratic National Conventions and we get on email lists and uh, all three of them mean that I get all sorts of pleas based emails with weird kind of, uh, this is said to be written by so-and-so, but you know that they didn't write it. And I, f I felt kind of in love with those ones, so I signed up with a bunch of GOP ones and suddenly got, you know, counterpoint back and forth. Might talk about them in the demo. Those are really funny, just sort of the, uh, the time capsule record of rhetoric that I have. You know, uh, and we all have this, but you know, and they don't need to be unread. I bet you probably, if you have 100,581 unread emails, very likely you have at least 200,000 emails. Or even if you don't have 100,501 emails, I would say that puts me at about 200,000 emails that I have. And if you have around that, you probably have some sort of interesting social history excavation you could do going through spam or campaign emails or uh, save searches or whatever. So I have that sort of stuff. So I don't know. I'm just going to sort of like uh, swim through it this week. Let's, uh, examining our old email, our current email accounts.
and their wonderful number of unread messages. After that, we'll have side A and then uh, a continuing serial from Charlie Pickle for side B. So let's get into resolution. <laughs> New Year's resolution. <laughs> it's only a, it's such a, I mean, it's actually not even a pun because I'm spelling it the same way. But yeah, New Year and resolution for, uh, so that's interesting. A resolution is the same as a resolution. It's kind of funny because they're totally different things. But yeah, resolution and resolution are spelled the same. <laughs> I won't even define the difference. And now let's resolve to get into resolution. <laughs> <laughs> 